Ooh, I like that. A little oh, bit of starting on that. A little bit of that soft jazz to just ease the listener in. No, don't call it soft jazz. That's I don't know terrible. if you can tell from my endless knowledge of the genre. Uh, I'm a I'm a jazz connoisseur, Liam. Yeah, a jazzosaurus rex, if you will. Yeah. That's this is objectively not true. I don't know nearly enough about jazz. You're the jazz man. That's really? your nickname around the apartment. That's true. You do call the, me that. Thomas the jazz man. Jenkins. Kramer. <laughs> we I feel both like did your last name is Kramer. Hey guys, this is Media Majors. It's a podcast about media. My name's Liam Senior. Sometimes I'm talking a voice that's different, and I tell stories about movies and TV. And I'm Tom Lockney, and I'm going to talk in my regular ass voice. You're Tom Kramer. And or I Tom Jenkins. really like video games and internet culture. And each week we tell each other a story uh, centered around a theme. And I believe um, this week the theme was Dark Universes. Ooh. Part one. Children of the Night. Ooh, spooky. Oh, I love it when we get to be spooky on Media Majors. The Universal Monsters is a phrase used to describe the horror, suspense, and science fiction films made by Universal Studios from the 20s to the 50s. It began with The Hunchback of Notre Dame and The Phantom of the Opera, uh, both silent films starring Lon Chaney. Universal continued with talkies, including monster franchises such as Dracula and Frankenstein and The Mummy. And... <laughs> The Invisible Man. No. Wait, I'm I got it. I got it. I got it. Man. Do I make you invisible, baby? <laughs> That's it. Nailed it in one. The Wolfman and the creature from the Black Lagoon. That's all I got. <laughs> um, it was good. It was very wet. <laughs> That's what I mean. He's a wet guy. He's called Gilman. The films often featured Bella Lugosi, Boris Karloff, and Lon Chaney Jr. The Big Three. And all these creatures were well-known, having appeared in books and folklore, so making adaptations was like a no-brainer. Frankenstein and Dracula were some of the most popular books around. Actually, you did need a brain to make Frankenstein, so technically this one was a brainer. Everybody comes to Medium Ages for my comedy. That's that's why they're really I I thought that was really good. (laughs) Thank you. I like that joke a lot. So yeah, like Frankenstein and Dracula were super popular and, you know, werewolves and vampires have been around in folklore since like forever. Oh yeah. Um it's it's just kind of funny to see that it, even in its infancy, Hollywood understood the like importance of adaptations and IP. I think it's really funny that as long as we've been able to tell stories, we've been able to talk about the fact that we're all scared all the time <laughs> of everything. <laughs> That's so true, though. Because, <laughs> right? like, Ugh. most stories are about someone being scared. Horror is so cool. Um, even when, like, making comedies, Abbott and Costello met the Wolfman and Frankenstein, and they even got Boris Karloff or Bela Lugosi to be Ugh. in these. There's a movie where all, like, Frankenstein... Titans. They're titans. Frankenstein, the Wolfman, and Dracula all appeared in a movie in, like, the 40s. And Amazing. it was a horror movie. It wasn't, like, a comedy. And and it was it was fine. Like I'm sure it's it's you know it's probably old and slow. It probably hasn't aged particularly yeah. well, but still it's still cool. But they made so many Frankenstein movies and so many Dracula movies and so many Wolfman movies that like you feel like modern directors could kind of figure it out. <laughs> Since their foray into film, the movie monsters have all also been that 
those group of monsters have pretty much been like grouped together. I mean, look at the song Monster Mash, the 1962 novelty song by Bobby Prickett, has references to all of these creatures that I've mentioned. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. Bobby Prickett even starts the song <laughs> with a Bella Lugosi impression. And he's purposely singing in a Boris Karloff impression. That would have been sampled if it was made in 2017. Exactly. They uh, These monsters, once staples of European folklore and such, are now as American as apple pie, low infant mortality rates, and the refusal to fix Flint's water crisis. <laughs> God, it's it's, it's insane. Been, it's, it's insane. Been three it's insane. Years. It's insane. At least, wait, no, it's been four years it's, now, hasn't it? It, it? it doesn't matter because it's more than Ugh. it's been too long. Anyways, uh, part two. It's alive. In 2012, Marvel released The Avengers, its first big crossover franchise movie, and that film was a huge smash. And because of that. All other studios are like, give me that franchise. I want that shared universe, baby. Mm, baby. Give me yeah. those five post-credit Ooh. sequences. Ooh, you want to dunk a little Iron Man in your Spider-Man, I see. We can arrange that, baby. And whether it's something that makes sense, like DC Comics wants to do a shared universe, sure, I get it. Sony is making a Valiant comic shared universe, and those are more like weirder comics. So yeah, I'm mm-hmm. all for that. But it also has like weird ones, like the King Arthur franchise that was supposed to start and completely failed. Oh man, that movie's so weird. I mean, could you? Could, are you excited for like a Lancelot spinoff? Like, oh, I don't get it. And now I am. Or the Robin Hood shared universe that they're trying to do. Oh my god! With like Friar Tuck getting his own movie. Why? But Universal. It's just called Tuck. Yeah, basically. I mean, the Robin Hood movie they wanted to do is called Hood. Get it? Robin Hood, but it's just Hood for the kids. Mm. Cool. But Universal? No, they got this. Yeah. They've done these movies before. They've made movies with all the monsters in the movies before. They sure so have. So many times. So who do they hire to helm the idea? Maybe you get someone like J.J. Abrams. He's got a pretty good eye for casting. I mean, he, he knows this type of stuff pretty well. Uh, He's got a little experience now with shared cinematic universes. Yeah, do you try to maybe get someone from Marvel, steal a James Gunn? Do you poach a James Gunn maybe? Get a a trauma guy in to make some schlocky fun? Do you get like... Speak with the people at Toho? Sure. Maybe talk to Matt Reeves. He's doing maybe doing Batman. He's done Planet of the Apes and made it serious if you want to go for something more somber. Whatever you do though, don't get anywhere near dc yeah just don't touch that don't take Uh, their calls don't take their emails oh how about the two guys who made wrote the first two transformers movies and cowboys and aliens wait really yeah are you serious that's right see they got alex kurtzman and roberto orchi to shepherd the dark universe roberto orchi actually kind of leaves pretty early on so it's mostly alex kurtzman okay And they uh, are asked to shepherd the Dark Universe. What's that? Yeah, that's the name they've decided to go for their franchise. The Dark Universe. Actually, wait. Wait, Liam? Do you like that name? I kind of like it. I think it doesn't make sense for... It makes sense for what they're going for, but it doesn't... (laughs) That's true. Which is why I hate it. Because I hate what they're going for. What would you name the the shared uh, Frankenverse? The Monster Mash. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's right there. It's right there. It's right there. You, you're you leading up to a Monster Mash movie. At one point, you're going to have a scene where they're all at a fucking party together. It'd be so great. 
So it was going to include the big, fr- uh, the big three. Yeah. Uh, and also have the Bride of Frankenstein, Doctor Jekyll, aka Mister Hyde. Mm-hmm. Um, the one and only. The two and only. The two really. and only. <laughs> two is the loneliest number. Uh, That's your lover too. The Invisible Man. The Gill Man from The Creature from the Black Lagoon, and even Van Helsing with possible future <sighs> spots for the Phantom of the Opera and the Hunchback of Notre Dame, since love, they were the first in the originals. Love that shitty Hugh Jackman Van Helsing so movie. So good. Oh, it's so it's awful so good. and sexist, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> so they begin pre-pro, and uh, they hire writers and directors, and they choose just a big old bunch of Blando white guys, including Twilight and Beauty and the Beast director Bill Condon. Wait. Liam, are you insinuating that men in Hollywood have it extremely easy? They hire uh, David Coep to do a lot of the writing. He Mm -hmm. wrote the first Spider-Man and uh, I think just a bunch of not great films. And uh, Jeff Pinker, who wrote the Dark, the Dark Tower, so like wow. real cream Holy of the crap. Moly. And it was one of those situations where I think one movie had one writer. Most of them had like two or three writers. However, Kurtzman himself is going to co-write with four of the people and direct the first entry into the Dark Universe, The Mummy. Wait, hold on, that's not actually the that's first not- one. I could have sworn that was the first one, but. It's not. But if I check my notes, th- right? there was a movie that came out before. Well, you see, in 2010, Universal <laughs> Sam Worthington as Vlad the Impaler, a.k.a. Dracula. Oh, Jesus. But then three years later, he dropped out and Luke Evans was cast and the director was switched from Alex Proyas to Gary Shore. After they shot the movie, they did reshoots that were apparently, quote from Gary Shore, to be used for a setup of the Dark Universe in case they wanted to. They being the people behind the dark universe i'm so confused right now exactly didn't they hire this man to create a dark universe no they hired a alex kurtzman to create a dark universe while already doing this dracula movie oh and then they were like we'll shoot some stuff to to like uh, connect it to the dark universe but then alex kurtzman said no we don't want your movie okay adam and adamantly denies that adamantly Adamantium lead denies, like Wolverine's claws, denies that uh, Dracula Untold is canon to his movie, The okay. Mummy. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. See, they're going to bank on The Mummy instead. Wasn't, wait, wasn't I Frankenstein part of that as well? No, that was a different studio. Okay. I believe that's, uni- uh, not, uni- that's not universal because Frankenstein is like kind of in the public domain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Universal just made a ton of Frankenstein movies. I could be wrong, but it's not... It could be a Universal movie. It's not part of the shared universe because they would bank on the mummy, and that would be the first step forward. Part three, it's no longer alive. <laughs> so when Marvel became Good a one. franchise, they actually, in the beginning, they took their time. Mm-hmm. They made one really good movie to kind of gauge public interest. Was this something that people would want to see more of? We figured out a way to do this. Do you want to see this? And that was Iron Man, and it's a very good movie. And the audiences at the time were like, yes, we want more. And after Iron Man came out, and after that response came out, it was like a couple years later, too. Then they started the wide casting on Thor and recasting Hulk and casting Captain America and all that jazz. They, they waited 
And then after they got their first slew of movies, then, okay, now we're going to expand it even more. So they were very calculating in this. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, no other studio (laughs) has, like, decided to take their time. They want to rush into everything completely. And, like, man, could the Dark Universe not have counted its chickens before they had (laughs) They started casting all of the movies, even though there wasn't supposed to be a shared big tentpole movie until, like, way down the line. And this was, like, an insane cast. They got Javier Bardem for Frankenstein, Angelina Jolie for His Bride, Russell Crowe for Dr. Jekyll, Tom Cruise and Sofia Boutella are the mummies. I don't really That's understand. Weird. I don't really all understand how casting... Tom Cruise, like, it becomes, uh, is, is involved in the whole universe. All the other casting you've described thus far has, has been very good. And then, and then, ooh, we stepped in a little bit of Tim a poopy. poopy there. Um, and then finally, abuser Don, Johnny Depp would oh, be the Invisible yeah, Man. Oh, right. Ugh. There's an Entertainment Weekly photo shoot of this cast together, Uh, minus Angelina Jolie. uh, As if ready to say, like, hey, this is happening. And it's a shame because we'll never get to see what was happening. Because the mummy tanked, and it tanked really hard, but it tanked hard in a way that it's not going to sound like it did bad, but for a tentpole movie, it did really bad. It had a budget of $200 million, and Uh, even though... It uh, had Tom Cruise, one of the most bankable stars. It only made about $400 million worldwide. So that's including domestic and overseas, which means it did not do well. And isn't there some, like, secret rule that the budget is actually secretly two times that because of marketing? Well, it's actually funny. I couldn't get a sturdy answer on what the budget for this movie was. I got a range from $125 million to $200 million. So I assume it's upwards of $200 million. Okay. Uh, anyways, it tanked so bad that they actually told um, people working on the Bride of Frankenstein movie, which was supposed to be the next one, that they could go home. And wow. they pulled the plug from it immediately. Wow. And it only got worse because a week ago, mm-hmm. Alex Kurtzman decided to leave the project. He was in charge of it. <laughs> and he's like, bye, y'all. Oh, my God. Gotta go. And his number two, Chris Morgan, also left to go back to his old franchise, The Fast and the Furious. What do you... <sighs> Man, what do you think that's like? Like, I could, technically speaking, I would not, <laughs> but I could walk out of my job and things would continue. There's not a lot of responsibility that I bear in giving up my position at the movie theater. Whereas, like, you're the head of this hundreds of millions of dollars franchise. Like, uh, isn't there a contract he signed? Can I don't he know, just man. can he just do that and and have no Appar- consequence? Apparently so, because he's doing it. Wow. I mean, I, so many people were screwed out of work. Like pre-production had already started on all this shit. All these concept artists. I hope they were all paid. So the rumor mills are saying that Universal is looking at high-profile producers and directors to take over the franchise, including Jason Bloom and Bloomhouse. Uh, Ooh, which would be great. He would do a good job. Choice, yeah. But here's my thoughts. I think we should just let this one go. Really? Well, here's the th- here's my th- my think about it. Why don't we make a bunch of new monsters? Because we've done that before. We did it in the '80s. Because now we have Freddie, Michael, mm-hmm. Jason, Leatherface, and Pinhead as like the sort of like next generation of the mo- movie monsters. And I feel like we should just make a bunch of new monsters. We've got new Pennywise and Babadook and the It Follows thingamajigger. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a movie called Monster Squad with Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, Gilman, and the Mummy. Yeah. And Shane Black co-wrote it, and it's an 80s movie, so, like, it's an 80s movie. Mm -hmm. It's going to have 80s movies ideals. 
But there's a scene where a, ten, uh, a 14-year-old kicks the, a wolf man in the balls. And Tom Noonan plays Frankenstein. So it's, like, pretty great. Yeah. I mean, I think I think we kind of are, in, in a way, in the process of uh, creating new monsters to be afraid of, you know? Afraid of, sure, but, like, I want that Pennywise Babadook crossover, <laughs> but it's never going to happen. No, I know. I think, I think that, like, even dumb stuff like Slenderman is, he's very iconic, I guess, and, or, or even something a little more subtle, like... I was playing Amnesia the Dark Descent earlier today and the the like weird flesh ghouls that follow you are very uh, visually striking monsters with this very specific lore and everything. And and even the like dark presence that follows you in that game, I, I think I don't know. I think it's proof that we're still creating new monsters. So there is oh, probably yeah, no. hope of uh, more horror movies with more unique monsters, monsters. I, ju- I monsters. just want to i just want more block like higher budget movies to have unique monsters or give all the universal monsters to jason bloom so he can distribute them to better filmmakers well, to do don't worry liam because one day disney's going to buy universal further cementing its monopoly over american entertainment new worldwide entertainment let's be honest and you won't have to worry about that anymore because then Disney will be having Ryan Johnson direct a Frankenstein. No, trilogy. I want David Cronenberg to direct Frankenstein. Ooh, that would be very good. That's who I want. Anyways, that's the end of my little my little pamphlet of a story that was very about fun. the current dark universe and how we're probably never going to see another monster movie by them. It'll be a miracle if they do, and it'll be a fun little media minor to do in the future. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break and hear about another show. On this network. We're not going to show another network's show right now. Maybe in the future, but not now. Fight us about it. Yeah. Hello, listener. Do you like a scare, a jump, a fright? How about Maine? How do you feel about Maine? If any of those words made your heart skip a beat, then I've got a podcast for you. King Me is a monthly Stephen King podcast where I, Tom Lockney, and a guest watch through a theatrical adaption of a work by everyone's favorite Northeastern author and talk about it with a little help from the source material. So, if you're feeling particularly brave, join me on my descent into terror on the Major Casts Network or wherever you find podcasts. And we're back. That was a fun ad. Oh, Didn't you think so, Liam? Yep. It was probably King Me. I'm just putting King Me on everything right now. Excellent. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Listen to King Me, everybody. Story time. Tell me about your dark universe. The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is a gothic novella by Scottish author Robert Louis Stevenson and was first published in 1886. Yes, it was. The story follows the investigations of London lawyer Gabriel John Utterson as he seeks to uncover the connection between his friend, Dr. Henry Jekyll, and rabble-rousing ne'er-do-well, Edward Hyde. Stevenson was fascinated by the nature of human personality and its use as a tool or trope in good versus evil storytelling. As Utterson's investigations grow darker, Edward Hyde commits more and more heinous acts, including assault and murder, eventually culminating in the reveal that Jekyll and Hyde are one and the same. Wait, what? I thought Russell Crowe was playing two separate characters. (laughs) Whoa! Ah! Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, we're not going to see that movie. (laughs) 
A ghoulish potion, a secret formula, allowed Jekyll to transform and indulge his base impulses. Though he began to lose control as time went on, even transforming involuntarily during his waking hours. Ruh-roh. Dr. Jekyll realizes that there will soon be no Jekyll, only Hyde, and takes his own life. Leaving there is no Jekyll, only Hyde now. Why is that funny? Like, why did that make both of us laugh? Why did we both have to do that? Because <laughs> we saw Thor That's right. Go see Thor No better, only Hulk. So then Jekyll takes his own life, leaving only a confession. Wait, Banner behind. and Hulk are the same person? Whoa, I know, right? For this whole time, you, he's, you've I always been asking suit. me why Ruffalo and the Hulk looked so similar. I thought it was a big suit, and he'd puff himself up, and then he'd run around in the suit. I fall asleep uh, for hours during movies. The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is one of the most enduring narratives in storytelling. Its influence seen even today, perhaps most popularly, in Marvel superhero, the Hulk. Iron Man. Fuck. Let me try it again. Start to, I can do this. All right. The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is one of the most enduring narratives in storytelling. Its influence is seen even today, perhaps most popularly in Marvel superhero. Deadpool. Fuck. The Incredible. Magneto. Dick. Beast. So I don't talk about movies on this podcast. So wait, what? We're different people. Wait, Third I've been, I've been. See, I keep confusing your voice for my voice because <laughs> they sound so similar. Ugh. One sounds like a normal person. I think we're the one. one like a nasal. I think we might be the one podcast on the entire planet Earth where the two hosts don't like exactly it sound like it each other. It doesn't take you like a little while to figure out the differences. Yes, sir. So it's the late '80s now. Tubular. And video games have more or less just recovered from the great video game crash of the early 80s. Oh, we couldn't feed our family at East Super Nintendos was scarce. The industry is stabilizing, but it's still a good time to, you know, like, play it safe. Maybe couch your bets behind existing IPs and business models. Yips. Your story and my story share... So much in The one commonality of these people really didn't think this uh, very simple thing through. Tom, they never do. They didn't learn what came before. Well-known publisher Bandai is uh, one of these people who refuses to learn from history. Bandai says no. They fund and distribute Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, developed by Advanced Communication Co., a small but productive Japanese development studio. Japanese film production company Toho also assisted. I dropped in a little bit of foreshadowing earlier in the in the episode about that. Oh, I already deleted it. Oh, joke's oh. on you. I'm editing this oh, one. Oh, no, joke's on you. We're the same person. What? what? Memento. If you listen to this episode backwards, it's the same. You're fight and I'm club. <laughs> so, yeah, Toho also helped out. They published the game in Japan. Home run, buddy. Home run. <laughs> Toho would Home fucking run. Toho would go on to work with Advanced Communication Co. for the Super Godzilla game in '93. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun little connection. That's a tangent that goes nowhere, but I thought it was a fun fact. <laughs> Due to graphical limitations, among other things, a lot of video game adaptions of existing properties, you know, in this era, had to make changes to the story. Sure. Here's the box art, Liam. <laughs> I want you to. I want you to describe. Oh man! Okay, this okay. is one of these okay. fun okay. games okay. that we like okay. to play on medium ages from time to time. After hitting the mic, so it looks like a man who is half man. Half, so literally, like he looks like his face 
at one point was more plastic than like, human. Like Tommy Lee Jones in that Batman movie. Yes, yeah. Batman Forever. Uh, he's wearing a top hat. Half his face is like a Ken doll, the left half. And the right is kind of like um, if Freddy Krueger got a bunch of moldy cheese spread all over his face <laughs> and got a, like like a shitty anus for an eye. And then stood under like a yellow-green lamp. And like, oh man, it looks so fucking datedly vhs It's incredibly ugly. The text is like yellow and this and like... spray paint pink. Weird pink red behind a purple background with, with like this a like... weird digital horrible gritty... Yellow green uh, lighting on his fucked up half of his face. And by the way, this is a fun little fact. Okay, so Dual World Challenge, Jekyll's London and Hyde's World of Demons. Gotcha. And down here on the far left... Oh, can I read this one? It yes. says Battle Demons with Hides psycho wave. Everybody. So, what do you think this game is about, Liam? Uh, well, part of me feels like it's. Uh, I honestly have no idea. Okay. I really it, don't know how you can make Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde a video game back in the early nineties. No. It features an excuse plot, essentially a, a, a cheap, flimsy, flimsy premise. Meant to loosely justify the actions of play. I don't know why that got me weird and wet and wild, but I it liked did. it though. Here's the here's the plot summary from Wikipedia. Doctor Jekyll is on his way to his wedding with the, <laughs> with the lovely Miss Millicent. Okay. As he walks to the church with his cane in hand, several townspeople, animals, and other obstacles obstruct his path, causing him to become angry. What? If his anger reaches a certain level, he transforms into Mr. Hyde and is taken to a nightmarish world of monsters. As Mr. Hyde kills the- I'm not- I'm done with this. As Mr. Hyde kills these monsters, his anger abates, and eventually he transforms back into Dr. Jekyll. The game's ending depends on which character, Jekyll or Hyde, reaches the church first. Don't ask me about the endings. There's weird wind conditions in this game, and I didn't want to research them or talk about them. Gotcha. I thought you said wind conditions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I was God. like, oh, that sounds awful. It's so... My hair keeps getting in my mouth. It's oh, terrible. No. So how do you think this game turned out? Poorly. <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is one of the most perplexing, obtuse games ever made. There are a total of six levels in the game, beginning with, as mentioned, Jekyll moving left to right on the way to his, his bow, his wedding. The player passes by townsfolk, some of whom hurt him, while others don't for seemingly no reason. This increases the anger meter, but also depletes the life meter. This is basically Dark Souls. Should the... <laughs> Should the anger meter reach peak before the player's death, the player character will be turned into hide. This flips the level vertically and populates it with monsters and demons. The screen begins auto-scrolling right to left and the player must kill enough monsters, thereby decreasing the anger meter to turn back into Jekyll. Row, row, indeed. Okay, so a lot of game design is about communicating mechanics and story subtly, implicitly, and often abstractly, especially in this era where graphics and storage space, things like that, limited developers' ability to communicate using visuals and audio, among other things. Like, you don't have a ton of room for sound bites or something, so, like, voice acting is out of the question. That, that sort of thing. 
these technological limitations. Super Mario Bros. 1-1 is often brought up as an example of game dev done well. It sends a Goomba your way, so you have to discover that you can jump to progress. It immediately follows that up with raised blocks for you to use your new jump with. One block is a question block, introducing that there are different blocks that have different reactions to the jump. A mushroom comes out of the question block, which communicates that there are A, power-ups, and B, mushrooms, what, that make you big, etc. It's maybe one of the best game levels ever made. It's, it just sets everything up so perfectly. It's like beauty and simplicity, you know? Yeah. It's, it's such like rudimentary technology that is so elegantly presented. There's a reason that every, almost every Mario... 2D style game after it has like redone that level to yeah. start it off because it's such a great like here's what this is gonna be ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba. a lot of people don't know but secretly Mario farts every time that note lands that's the Brownser note nice thank you I'll give you two and a half out of three for that thank you I um, didn't come up with pun titles so I've been trying to work some in I didn't do pun titles. I made fun of stupid things. <laughs> so Jekyll and Hyde is literally the exact opposite of good game design. It is infamous for it. It was the first game ever reviewed on the website Something Awful, receiving a score of negative 37 out of the lowest possible negative 50, and is partially responsible for launching the career of the angry video game nerd. Fuck no! Uh, yeah, I've never seen the angry video game nerd, but I know that he reviewed this game. There's a uh, Newgrounds animator, goes by Ego Raptor, who did a video called sequelitis where he he talks about how bad the game design is and dr jekyll and mr hyde like this is sort of i don't know it's been it's been featured on numerous worst games of all time lists and is often invoked as a master class in how to not design a game and uh i don't know i thought it was a uh, uh relevant to the theme culturally significant work for the weird place it has in time and history for how bad it is so that is my story of the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde video game. What are you what are you watching on your phone, bud? You'll see us. Hey. Fucking yes! Told you! Anyways. Yo, you remember when Arthur was high-key, like, the best fucking show on TV for a while? Mm-hmm. Anyways. Anyways. That's a great story. <laughs> that was a fun part. little little nightcap to my story. Let's let's follow it up with another fun one, the self-care corner. Because sometimes, not necessarily this week, although we did dip our toe into Johnny Depp. When we talk about, like, rougher stuff on this show, that can be kind of a bummer. We like to balance that out with a little, little quick anecdote. Nor, nor thing about our life that made us happy. Liam, would you like to go first? Sure. Today at work, it turns out uh, in my in my office that I share with a freelance ed or editor who's a very nice guy, it gets real dark at like 5 o'clock, and it turns <laughs> out the overhead lights just plumb don't work. Oh, Christ. So it's been like for about... Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Oh, dark. man, that's so depressing. Uh, yeah. And, um... 
it's been like two uh, a week and a half, so I finally felt the courage to mention something to my supervisor. <laughs> I, I, uh, and, I sit I sit in the dark and get a get a monitor tan. I'm uh, um, I'm so bad. Tan, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> so I watch. So she was like, "Okay, I got this." And then she goes into her office and grabs one of the many plants from her office. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making this up. <laughs> yeah. She then goes. What does she do with it? Trust me. And then walks into someone else's office, and then as and then a bunch of other people follow her because apparently she trades the plants in her office for lamps in other people's office, and she comes out with a big lamp that I put into my office. So Aww. now I have a nice lamp. That's I've, so I, nice. Yeah, my boss is awesome. That's so nice. My boss is really great. Aw. Uh, so that that made me laugh. All right. Uh, uh, my self care corner. I don't know. I think I just generally had like a really good day today. I woke up, I wrote the story for Media Majors, and then I hung out with a good friend, and we watched Jimmy Neutron, and it was hilariously bad, and we played some video games, and it was very fun. So and we you had a nice, a nice, a nice day on a Thursday. I did. You celebrated Thor's Day correctly after seeing the movie. Oh man! Oh yeah! Bonus self care corner. Thor Ragnarok is dope as hell. Mm -hmm. Taika Waititi knows what the fuck he's doing and made a fucking statement about how shitty prison labor is and how it's basically slavery in his Thor Marvel movie. Do you remember how they make a lot of great subtle statements in the first two Thor movies? (laughs) Mostly about... Like, Asgard is different from Earth. What? They're not the same. You can't buy a horse at a pet shop? Comedy. Uh, hey, there are other shows on the Matrix House Network. There sure are, you dang it. You should listen to them. Like King Me, or Big Time Whoopsie, or The Filmographers, or Musty TV. End of list. <laughs> Asked and answered, what are the major casts podcast? There's definitely a minor cast on the network. There is. It's a tiny one that we've done one of ever. Oh, did I not say King Me? Media minor. Oh, I was talking about Shmanime. <laughs> That's one well, of the minor I'm glad casts. that neither of us have any idea what's going on. It's late. It's late, and we're tired. Uh, and Eric and I post a Shmanime have a new show that will be coming out later this month. Yeah, called Sunday Morning Hangover Cure. Mm. It'll be on a Sunday. What? <laughs> so wow. check Sundays. Not that's... this Sunday. Maybe next Sunday. Probably not. Liam, that's so transgressive. I think I've made that joke about this before. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. You can email us at mediamagespodcast at, mediama- at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at mediamagerscast. Wait, leave us a review on iTunes and a rating if you enjoyed the show. It helps small podcasts like us out. And as always, we'll be there for We'll be there for we'll you. Be, uh, I just keep saying we'll be there for and spins out. We'll be there for Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. 
Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.